But uh, we'll be in Titus, and uh, it's a wonderful epistle of just encouragement. And um, the Lord just spoke to me, said that if we're gonna, if you're gonna be preaching, you're gonna be preaching the book of Titus because it's so evident and so clear and exactly what the church needs. And the church needs order and leadership because our God is a God of order. Um, so a little bit of background of Titus. He's such a mysterious character in the Bible. Not too many people know about him, but um, he was very faithful into the ministry with Paul. And um, there's only a few times he's mentioned, and it's in uh, 2 Corinthians and then Galatians. But uh, So this epistle that Paul's writing to Titus was written around 64 to 67 AD, and it's very similar in the nature that it's written also to Timothy. And um, it's for encouragement and continuing on being faithful to the word. And that was Paul's ministry, was being faithful to the word. So he's raising up these young leaders to go out and go forth and do so. Uh, so but there is some contrast between Titus and Timothy. Timothy ten, typically was a softer man and needed more encouragement, whereas Titus was a more, more stronger man physically and spiritually. It's always said that um, if the job is hard, you can do one of two things. You can tell someone to go because they're strong enough to go, or you say it's too, too much for them, don't send them. And, Paul, and Timoth, Titus typically was the person that they would send. Um, so Titus was a Gentile, Timothy was also a Jew, and um, he just had a little bit more of that uh, mature and viral personality. So while Timothy was laboring in metropolitan Ephesus, Titus had his hands full on the island of Crete. Crete, we're going to come to find out, was an unscrupulous bunch. And um, they were definitely known for their uh, money mongering and the hoarding of things and lying and cheating. But um, Paul's writing to Titus to make sure that he's setting up the kingdom for God. And that is the most important thing of it all, is making sure that the word is being preached and there's faithful ministry going on. And the main thing is the main thing, and it's Jesus. And that's the salvation of it all, is the resurrection of Christ. And that's what we want to make sure that we're holding fast to and what we're holding firm to. And that's why Paul's writing to Titus for that encouragement. It's like, understand that it's not going to be easy. But this life on earth isn't easy because we're here in this world, but we're not of the world. We're different. We're holy. And that's the root definition of it all. Christians were meant to be different. So in this first epistle, we're going to see a few pictures, and it's the beginning of the New Testament church and the measuring rod for it. So the ideal church is one that has an orderly organization, that preaches sound doctrine, is pure in life, and ready for every good work. So before we get into the outline, because of all the craziness, I didn't pray, and I need the Holy Spirit because... I'm in front of you all. So let's bow our heads and our hearts. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. And just thank you for your son, Jesus. And that's why we're here, Lord, is, is to, to honor, glorify, and understand more of who you are and what you've done for us and that everlasting life in heaven. And how do we get there? It's the true faith and that common faith of your salvation, your resurrection from death to life, that way we get to live everlasting life forever. So just go before us now. Let our ears hear what your spirit would speak to us. And let it not be of me, and let it just be of you, Lord. And give me the words to provide and touch the hearts of everyone here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... The outline, if you want to grab it, I titled the message, The Church Needs Order and Leadership. And um, the Lord spoke to me, and it was, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. That's why we're all here. There's a, God is a God of order, and that's why we're all sitting here. We want to learn and understand what that order is. And what are those qualifications of a Christian, in, in the sense, not just a leader. But uh, the, the first key point is preach God's word. That's the element. That's what our call is as Christians, is go out and preach the word. What is, his, what is our ministry? It's our mission field is if it's in the workplace, if it's in the person walking by, if it's someone needing just a little bit of encouragement, giving us being the arms to give them a warm embrace or 
the mouth is given encouraging word. So that's what preaching the word is. And Paul does it wonderfully. And he starts it off with how he's addressing to Titus and who he is and what he is in Christ. And then we get into who Titus is. And he's that true son in our common faith. And that's who we can relate to. And that's what Paul's doing for us is relating Titus to us. If we're new in the faith or we're mature in the faith, it's very similar. We can be assimilate ourselves there because we're all under the new covenant. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has risen, and he is alive. And then we come to Paul's salutation. And that's a wonderful, wonderful salutation because it's, it's a prayer. And it was a blessing before I got up here. Pastor Dave did the same thing for me. He prayed for me. And that was the, the ultimate blessing of saying, let the Holy Spirit be with you. Grace, mercy, and peace. And it's just an encouragement and an encouraging word having someone that mentors you to say, you've got this because the Holy Spirit is with you. And then lastly, we're going to get into what ordained qualified leaders. You need to have qualified leaders in the church. But these qualifications are also what we need to take in every single day as us being Christians. These are just the Christian qualifications in general. So the reason why Titus is being left in Crete is to keep the church orderly. It's a new church, and he's there to make sure that it's an orderly church. And then, like I was saying, the requirements, we're not going to go right into them right now as we're going to get into the message, but there's a good amount. And these are the great qualifications of what we need to do to stay in order and following God's word. So let us get into the word. I'm talking too much. <laughs> Verses 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, Promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So Paul, starting off the letter here as the typical times, but just that term, a bondservant. The term that's used in the Greek is doulos, and that's meaning a slave by choice. But also in the ancient Greek, it's the most demeaning quality that a human can have. And that was what they would refer to as an abject, servile term in the Greeks for a slave. And Paul's using that as a badge of honor. That's true humility. If he were to have a business card, it would read bondservant, chief of sinners, least of the apostles. And he's wearing that with the badge of honor because that's how he identifies himself. And the question is, how do you identify yourself in Christ? Because we are, we should be a slave to the Lord, a servant of God, because he's the ultimate master. No matter what you are in this world, You'll never be God. So there's two undeniable truths that there is a God and you're not him. But, there's a big but. Paul was a bondservant, yet he had a high place. Why? Because he had eternity in heaven. So no matter what the world sees, it's more important to what the Father sees. So this is the title, not one of only humility, but like I was saying, it's a badge of honor. What greater thing could a person be than the servant of the eternal living God, the creator of the universe? This is how Paul sees himself. This is how Moses saw himself back in the Old Testament. He was a slave and a servant of God. And that's how all the Old Testament prophets saw themselves. So what's stopping us to identify ourselves as that? So Paul, beginning this letter with his declaration of being a servant by choice of God. But then he continues, and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. And how do we know that? Because Jesus himself stopped Paul 
on Damascus Road, and he immediately served. No greater faith than that, of truly trusting, of saying, Lord, I, I surrender my life. Take it over. I can't do this without you. I was doing it all wrong. I was living for the world, and I didn't see the true picture. You see everything. He was a special messenger of God, an apostle, and he knew his call. He knew his purpose among the body of Christ. That's what we need to find out for ourselves. What is our purpose? We should know that. What's our role in the body of Christ? Paul truly was an apostle of Jesus Christ because he's seen him personally, and he gave him orders, strict orders. It's very much similar to what a boss tells you to do something at work. You follow those orders unless it takes you away from doing something for the Lord. And the Lord is the ultimate master, and we should always be willing to serve that master. So the highest officers in the church are but servants. Pastor means servant, servant of all, servant everyone that comes in the church. Just as Christ came not to be served, but to serve. So the apostles were employed to spread his gospel, but were also to be servants of the Lord. How do we know they're meant to preach the gospel? Because Jesus told them to. Go out into all the nations and make disciples. The word never lies. It's true. You can go back in any element of the word. And then even continuing on in this letter, Paul says, God who cannot lie. That's a promise we get to hold true to every single day. No matter what the world throws at us, we know we can hang on the promises of heaven. Why? Because God cannot lie. So Paul is emphasizing the importance of God's word, and Paul's ministry was governed by the word of God. Is your ministry governed by the word of God? I can tell you honestly that mine wasn't a year ago. And that's the ultimate redemption. This book is a book of redemption. Everyone in here was being redeemed. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross. So that way we could have eternal life and life everlasting. And we don't have to worry about sin and death because he conquered it. And we're now all overcomers. We are conquerors, more than conquerors in Christ. But then it continues on saying God's elect. What are God's elect? We are God's elect. Why? God's elect are those he chose before the foundation of the world to receive his salvation. And God's elect, it's a beautiful picture. It's the faithful, those that are seeking the truth, which is after godliness. And what is the truth? Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's all we have to do is come to him. It was so wonderful going through Titus here and just the opening elements as we were talking in Overcomers the other night was, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's what he's doing. He provides the rest. Yes, we're going to have to do the work, but he wants to take the reins of your life. But you have to let him. Paul is showing that he has let the Lord take over his life by declaring he's a bondservant. And he's an apostle by going out and showing his faith. And what's he doing? He's setting up faithful churches with faithful ministers and faithful providers to preach and teach the word of God. And that's a blessing that we have this church. This church is founded on preaching the word of God. Book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because only God's word saves. All truth is God's truth, but not all truth is really relevant to godliness. Science and psychology, yes, they're admirable and may be true, but they don't save you from hell. That's the difference that the gospel makes. To bring this knowledge and faith and to acknowledge and profess the truth, which is after godliness, is this endgame of the gospel ministry. Preach the word. Teach the word. Because the faith in Jesus not only saves today, but makes our lives godly, but it also gives us hope for the future. And it's not a wish. Wish is way different than hope. 
because a wish, there's nothing behind it. With hope, there's something behind it because there's a promise to it. And the promise is from God. And we have assurance for the future because of God's promises. Because we have in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. This eternal life is the life of the eternal God living within us. It is present with us now and will be completed later. Numbers 23.19 tells us, God is not a man that he should lie, not a son of man he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So we're told God's not a man who cannot lie. So this eternal life is not a wish but a hope. And we're supposed to be those beacons of hope. We're supposed to be the beacons of light because we're called to be salt and light. And that's how we need to be showing faithfulness to the Lord. And this is the further intent of the gospel, to have hope and faith, meaning to take the mind and heart off from things of the world and raise it to heaven and things above. So we don't need to be worried about who's in the White House because we know who's on the throne. We don't need to under... Yes, we should be diligent in how we vote and all those things, and, but at the end of the day is, do you know the Lord? Do you know who Jesus is? And are you saved? Because you're going to spend eternity somewhere where are you going to spend it. So, the faith and godliness that leads to eternal life is that promise from God. And it, how do we know it's a promise? Before, because it began before time. We don't see the big picture. God existed before time began. Just think about it. You can't because you can't fathom it. I get a headache just thinking about it. So that's why I stopped thinking about it and just trust the Lord's in control. But we're born again into a living hope because we've trusted the living Christ. He's continually keeping true to his word. But why is this so important? Because this is the comfort of our God. He cannot lie or deceive, which brings us comfort, because our heavenly treasures are laid upon his faithful promises. So how do we know of this eternal hope? Because of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the eternal hope. It's told by Jesus himself. My father, he loved every single one of you. That I'm here to give my life for you. And this is that blessed hope that we have. A hope that has been confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus. And I know it's a lot to take in. We're only on the second verse. But it's a wonderful reminder that we need to constantly have of what Jesus did for us and why these men and women were so faithful to serve. And that should be our duty, is to serve as bondservants, as understanding that without Christ, we can do nothing. And Jesus is God, and his promises are true. So that's why I'm hammering home these first two verses, because how do you introduce yourself? It's not easy saying, I, may, I own my own business. Or it's easier to say, I own my own business than I serve the Lord. But the humility in me wants to say, I'm not even worthy of my business. Why? Because it's all for the Lord and his glory and his honor. So, for God so loved the world that he gave that we should be willing to give our lives for him. And then we also see back in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, in his epistle he writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I could just stop there. There's nothing more that we need 
than that verse right there. Incorruptible, your inheritance, and undefiled that never goes away. He holds you in his hand forever. You're written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's reserved in heaven for you. The treasures laid up there. Your crown. But how do you get them? You have to believe in Jesus Christ. And have the hope for eternity. And what a wonderful and glorious hope we have. So the promise of God is something so sure. And we get to live in this promise of eternal of hope and eternal life because God cannot lie, his word cannot fail, and he's promised it before the world began. So our plan of redemption existed before the world because God knows all things. He knew man would fail. He knew it. So don't ask me, why did he create man if he knew man was going to fall? Because he tells me why. His ways are not my ways. And he sees things from the big picture. My ways, his ways are beyond my own finding out. So that's the trust. That's the faith. That's the understanding that, Lord, just take it. Guide my steps. Allow me to have my path that you've set out for me. So God sees the entire picture looking at the whole in one glance. We see it as it currently comes, but we get to understand the glance after we look past what's, what's gone on in our lives. So we see it step by step. Yes, we can plan our steps, but only to the best of our ability. So God seeing it in the full time continuum, we just see it as it's passing by. But God does make it known to us in his due time. And how has he made it known? By preaching of his word. And how do we understand his word? And how do we get that faith? Right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith is developed. That's where our hope comes from. It comes from the word of God. And the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, to go before us for that everlasting life, that everlasting hope. And this is the ministry of Paul. This is our ministry. Go out and preach the word. And God reveals this message through preaching. This does not mean the act of proclaiming the word, but also what's the content of the message. It has to agree with itself. As Pastor Dave says, you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. It has to line up. It cannot be subject to lies. So this word of the gospel is committed to Paul. Now it's being committed to Titus. And this ministry was according to the commandment of God and not given by men. Now we get to verse 4. To Titus, a true son in our common faith. As I was saying, we, didn't, we don't know much about Titus to this point. But we see him mentioned in 2 Corinthians where it says, the brother who is famous among the churches, I leave you, Titus. But that brother suggests that some commentators say it could have been Luke. Luke might be Titus's brother. We don't know, I don't know, but I'm just going to say Titus is a Greek Gentile. But it's pretty interesting. Because in the end, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So it doesn't really matter if who our earthly brothers and sisters are, because I'd rather have my heavenly brothers and sisters. So the word common, to have in common, the faith is the possession of all God's people and not just the selected few. We all in this room have a common faith, and that faith is founded in Jesus Christ. And if you can say that with full truth, full understanding, and full hope, we have common faith together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Any departure from this common faith is false teaching and must not be tolerated in the church. It's truth. The Lord says it. It must be true. But Paul wanted Titus to grasp this fact as we do, not, as we do the same to make the word of God a priority in all of our ministries. And there are some things we can find out about Titus and his character 
just through a few of the verses here. He's a true son in our common faith. He's a genuine brother to the Apostle Paul. He's a partner, fellow worker with Paul. He walked in the same spirit as Paul. He walked in the same steps as Paul in the same manner of life. And he could be a pattern to other believers. So Titus was a Gentile Greek, and he was called to the faith and ministry. Why is it so important that Titus was a Gentile? We're all Gentiles. And Paul's ministry was to go out to the Gentiles. Jesus came for everyone. The Jew first, the Gentile, and everyone else second. And that's the biggest thing is we're all in this room because the word was preached. Someone shared the gospel of grace with you. And that's all started here. The gospel of grace is preached. It's taught. And now you have grace and mercy and peace through Jesus, through our God. And it's been manifested to us by the preaching of his word. And that wonderful blessing of grace, mercy, and peace from the God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I'd love a letter that way. Such an encouragement to have someone know that you hold dear to you praying for you. And you know they're praying for you. It's not they're just saying, oh, I'll pray for you. And then a week later you see them like, and they didn't pray for you. Or you're the one that sees them in passing. You're like, oh, I didn't say that prayer. Real quick, uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Amen. <laughs> but it's such encouragement having someone you know who is faithful to the word reaching out to you and saying, you got this. Why? Because the Lord's got you. And that's the greatest gift of it all, is knowing that your faith is being seen by others. Your faith is being seen by the Lord, by the Father in heaven. So, And in that blessing, there are three persons from whom all blessings are wished. God the Father, the fountain of all good. Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, as the way and means of attainment of eternal life. And the Holy Spirit being upon him as he's going out preaching and teaching. So, But let's take a look at grace, mercy, and peace. What is grace? What is grace? The free favor of God and acceptance with him. It's given freely. We cannot earn it. And that's a beautiful example of what it means to be a child of God. You cannot earn heaven. We just have to have the faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and he gives it to us freely. It must be accepted individually. Mercy is the fruits of that favor and pardon of sins and freedom from all miseries by it. We don't have to live in sin anymore. Are we going to be sinless? No, but we should sin less because of the mercy and grace of our Father. And finally, the peace, the positive effect and fruit of mercy. Knowing that we're saved and we're going to heaven, we should be living in peace. We should have joy, happiness, kindness, and all the fruits of the Spirit. And peace with God through Christ, who is our peace, comprehending all good whatsoever that makes for our happiness in time and eternity. Grace is the fountain of all blessings. Mercy and peace and all good things spring out of this. So they come from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Carrying on, verses 5 through 9. We get to the understanding of why Titus was left in Crete. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. 
That's an exhaustive list. Yeah. But it's also the same list said in 1 Timothy, showing that God has qualifications. And there's several qualifications, but they're the same. So the measure for leaders does not fluctuate. Because if God let one sin in heaven, we'd have earth 2.0. So there's a lot of understanding that just because it says for the leaders here, this should be the element of our own Christian life, our own Christian walk. We should want to be blameless, having faithful children. Me being a father now, three, I want to have faithful children. I don't want them to be insubordinate or causing problems or being derelicts in the, the world. No. But I do have to start the home that way. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's where it starts. Because if you can't even get your home in order, how are you expected to get a church in order? <laughs> so these qualifications, yes, it's for leaders, but it should also be the element of our own Christian lives, our own Christian walks. Why was it so important that Paul was telling this to Titus? He probably wasn't going to find very many in Crete. Because the Cretans, they had a very bad reputation, and they were not ones to really be trusted. They would stab you in the back while standing in front of you. So they would claw, scratch, steal, do whatever they could to get a buy in the world. So that's why this is so important, because... Crete is the United States. The church was deemed non-essential. Why? Because the church wasn't making money for the country. Whereas all these other elements of liquor stores and nude bars, all these things were left open because they were providing money. And it was a disgrace to, and a slap in the face to the Lord. And it's nothing's new under the sun. Same thing was going on back in the old days, in the ancient times. So we should never be too concerned with what the world has to offer, but what does the Lord have to offer for us? But these are those qualifications for what qualifies a man for that spiritual leadership, and it's godly character. That's what it comes down to. If you have godly character, it's going to be followed by these clear criteria. And it's wonderful that our pastors and our leaders here have these characteristics. I can say that wholeheartedly. Because we have real men in leadership here. And we can define what a man is. <laughs> Not what science quote-unquote, thinks of a man. But let's break down these a little bit before we get into the end of it all. So if a man is blameless, what does that word blameless mean? Well, it means nothing to take hold on. It's basically being truthful and honest and open about everything that you've done. It's not going to say blameless. It doesn't say spotless. It says you own up for your mistakes in the past and the consequences of your sin and your actions, but it's nothing to shame you on anymore. Why? Because there's no more guilt, because guilt is of the enemy, and Jesus has set us free of it. So there's nothing in this life of a leader that anyone can take hold of or attack because it's out in the open already. Everyone already knows. Everyone already knows that I was an alcoholic for 14 months. Everyone knows that. But why am I standing up here? Because of the redemption of Jesus Christ. And it's through his grace, nothing that I did, and it's his work, but I'm no longer blamed for it because Jesus runs my life. Just like Paul, he, can, he says he's the bondservant. He was the one that was killing Christians. But now he's the biggest, he's the chief of sinners, and he's the one writing this letter for us to go forth and share what Jesus has done in our lives. 
And that's encouragement. This is who I was before I met Christ. This is what happened when I met him. This is who I am now. So it's not spotless, but it's blameless. Everything's out in the open. Everything is truth. And there's nothing more difficult than having to fill out a personal history statement for law enforcement. So everyone, I am attempting to become a police officer so I can protect our wonderful community going out and serving. Wasn't going to say it, but the Lord says, hey, you need to share this. So my life was messed up, and I have to recreate everything on our personal history statements. But it's also a joy because I get to say why. Why is my life different now? And that's a beautiful thing. I don't have to worry about being blamed for anything. And, but So a personal history statement is basically from the point of either 15 or 18 or anything in the last 10 years, you have to fill out and put down exactly what you've done. Were you targeted, put into any element of criminal activity, or arrested, or anything along those lines, and you have to lay it out. And if there's any one mark, one tick, you have to put it on there. And that's the toughest thing that I've had to do because I have so many things in my old life that I've never wanted to bring up again. But the Lord's saying, you don't have to worry about it now. This is who you are now in Christ. So let, let them, let the world worry about it. Let me worry about you. So the greater the master is, the greater the servants are to be. So not hiding anything anymore, letting everyone know who I am, because God's accepted me. That's all I care about. That's the blameless, being blameless in his eyes. Husband of one wife, pretty self-explanatory, but not in Crete in those days. So it's not saying that a leader needed to be married, or he couldn't remarry if his wife had passed. It's just saying that his, the focus should be on one woman. As I have one wife, I need to be focused on that one wife. So, <laughs> Chuck, <laughs> just focused on you, babe. <laughs> but going on. Having faithful children, as I was saying, that's, the last year has been the greatest year of my life because it's been restoring the household. And the Lord said, you're not going to do anything until you've restored your household. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants a good, clean household because why? The enemy wants to tear away the fabric of the household. If he can destroy the household, he's won. And that's how you tear away the fabric of a nation, is destroying the home. So the leader must have raised his children well. And how do you do that? Read them the word of God. Preach them, teach them the word of God. So the emphasis here is on the idea that the children are believers, but it's not of my faith, but it's their own faith. Their own faith is what should be established, but how do you get to that? By teaching them the ways of the Lord. And that's why I'm so blessed to be here at Hillcrest Christian School. My kids are here because every single day they're being taught the Word of God. They're being entrusted by these teachers to preach and teach the Word of God. And that's the biggest blessing, and that's why we didn't go into the public school. What a mess that is. So I don't have to re... What is the word? Yeah, reprogram what everything that they're doing when they come home and spending eight hours reprogramming what they learned in eight hours. No. So have, they understand what, who the Lord is. And then they just get it consistently talked about at home. I think the biggest joy I have is hearing my, my daughter pray. If you come to Overcomers, you'll know I start my prayers every single time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. But now my daughter is starting to pray that way, and that's just the biggest joy. And I just, it's like, makes me weep. It's like just that proud dad moment. 
but it's for the Lord, and that makes it even better. It's just being a good steward of what he's given me. And, this. and yes, they're wayward. They, they go sideways sometimes, but <laughs> we're all prodigal sons and daughters. And we're supposed to be good stewards of what he's given us. Because why? He tells us to be. The steward of God should be not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. That sounds like every single characteristic of my old life in corporate America. <laughs> you're taught to be self-willed. You're taught to be quick-tempered to get your, your way. You're taught to go out and wine and dine. You're taught to be violent with others, to get your way, and you're taught to achieve money and status. Those are all things of the world. These are not the things of the Lord. We are not to be self-willed. Why? Because we're supposed to be good stewards. But a steward does not own anything, but manages what's given to them. And we need to make sure that we manage what the Lord has given us. What are the time, tools, and talents that he's given you? And if he's given you great finances, just be good stewards of it, but don't be succumb to it. And one of the greatest examples in the, the Bible is Joseph with Potiphar's businesses. A great steward. Yes, he was a steward not only to the Lord, but also to Potiphar. And that's how they understood was what Joseph was doing just allowed the abundance of the Lord to be shown, glorifying God. Because of what? Because of Joseph's faithfulness. And that's the most important characteristic of it all, is the faithfulness that we must use because our master is giving us stuff. He's given me three children. He's given me a business. He's given me all these things. I need to be a good steward in showcasing his glory in it. Because all we have comes from the Lord and must be used for God. We should never say, this is mine. I'm a self-made man. We hear that a lot, right? Okay, what part of yourself did you make? I think one of my favorite things is uh, God had a, a contest with three scientists, and um, they told him, hey, we, we created our first clone. Our first, we made our first um, baby. I was like, okay, cool. Show me how you made it. But uh, you can't use anything that you didn't create. And he goes, oh, well, we use this dirt. He's like, well, I made that. Oh, then we use this rock. Well, I made that. That's mine. You can't use anything that wasn't previously made. That's just showing that the Lord owns everything. And there's nothing that we can do without him. So we are to be a good steward of what he's given to us. And the quick-tempered, the actual Greek word here is orgolos, and it actually refers to a more settled state of anger. Just someone who's constantly crotchety, just always angry, not really pleasant to be around. What we typically would say is they're a bitter man. And uh, just not a joy to be around. It's not pleasant. And so don't be like that. And uh, there's this wonderful saying, temper is, a, temper is such a wonderful thing, it's a shame to lose it. How great is that? That's wonderful. It's such a wonderful thing, it's a shame to lose it. Because the temp your temperament just it dictates all the conversation. So let's not lose it. And then not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. As it goes to violence, the Greeks themselves took it a step further and widened the meaning of the word violent to include not only violence in action, but also in speech. And then greedy for money, there was a term that was called Cretia, and it was the term that the Cretes were given because they were so money-hungry. Let's not be money-hungry, but let's be Jesus-hungry. But then we get into the good elements of the characteristics. But let's be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. 
Hospi hospitality is not an easy one. I can tell you that much for the fact that sometimes there's people I don't want to be around. <laughs> being self, just being totally honest. But with the Lord's help, I say, Lord, help. And he gives me the patience and element of saying, thank you, Lord. I'm so wonderful. I'm so glad that you gave me this opportunity to talk to someone that I wouldn't have talked to in my, my own will. Because why? We're to be in the world and not of the world. If we're to love things of the world, that this disqualifies us. And if I want to be my introverted self, then so be it. And then I won't be glorifying the Lord. I'll be just rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. And that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be hospitable and lover of what is good. And God is good, so we should love God. We should love people. We should win people to heaven through Christ. So man is only good because his heart is good and he surrounds himself with good things. This one's going to be difficult. What music do you listen to? What books do you read? What is it the things that you support? Are they good things? If you let someone listen to your playlist, are there going to be any curse words on it? Any explicit material? So, moving forward, sober-minded, holy or unstained, self-controlled. And self-controlled is a difficult one because this is discipline. Discipline. How do you gain discipline? It's keeping our mind and body under control and yielding to the Holy Spirit. Tough, tough. You mean I can't do that, Lord? I can't go out and do that? I can't go stay out till midnight? Because we all know nothing good happens after midnight. That's ingrained in us, ingrained. And it's true, always holds true, everyone. So, should be in home by, in bed by nine. That way you get your full eight hours of sleep. No, but we need to discipline our desires and keep our mind and body at bay. Because those that get, cannot govern themselves can't govern a church, can't govern a home, can't govern whatever work or industry they're in. If you give in to all of these things that were previously stated into wine, you don't have discipline. You're given into money and finances. You don't have discipline. And that's the hardest thing to be taught and learn. But those that the Lord loves, he chastens or he disciplines. So it's something that we need to ask from the Lord is saying, Lord, show me some discipline. Show me some self-control. Because I know my own actions, my own appetites. And it's only of you that I don't do those anymore. And lastly, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. This means that the leader must be sure of the faithful word himself. Do we all believe that this word is true? Do we have confidence in that word that it is true? And it always returns true. Our leader of this church sticks to God's word. But in the world, it's not the same. Everything's a production. Everything is how many seats can I fill? And that's the biggest tragedy in the church today. That's why Paul says this to Titus. So when the word of God is brought to people, he must bring it with confidence and authority, not, not mixed with theological speculation and academic doubts. Or it shouldn't be a giant production. It shouldn't be the greatest worship of all time. Even though worship is all we get to do in heaven. But that shouldn't be our primary focus. Our primary focus should be on learning the word of God and knowing that it's true. That Titus may be able to, by sound doctrine, exhort and convict those who contradict this word. That's our duty. The ones that are teaching 
false doctrine, we need to put an end to it. We need to put a stop to it. And a godly leader is going to use his solid foundation in the God's word to exhort, to encourage, and then convict and discourage those who are on the wrong track. So that's what we need to be focusing on. So a preacher must be both a soldier and a shepherd, one that needs to nourish, defend, and teach. Leaders must stand firm on the foundation of the word. So leaders in the church and elders in the church have a twofold ministry. One is building up the church with healthy doctrine, healthy teaching, healthy elements of the Lord. And then the second is refuting the false teachers who spread unhealthy doctrine. Always seeking out the wolves in sheep's clothing. And then apart from the truth, Bible doctrine, there can be no spiritual help or health. And that's what's one of the greatest weaknesses in our church today, is the lack of sound doctrine being taught across the country. The main thing needs to be the main thing. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is our Savior. And that's the truth. And we need that sound doctrine brought back, brought back in the churches today. Thankfully, here we have that sound doctrine. I'm going to leave you with this last thought. The word of God revealed in Scripture is true and an infallible word. And we're to hold fast and be faithful to it in our teaching and our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and thank you for this day and just thank you for your word. Never returns void. We're just so blessed and thankful that you wrote it down for us. Just letting it be a blueprint to our lives of everlasting life that you've brought forth. So go before us now, Lord, as we continue on in worshiping you and glorifying you, that we just take what you've given us and hold dear to it. Encourage us as we encourage one another. And it's in your heavenly holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.